Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When I was approached from the talent and leadership team at Ernst & Young to come and lead that work for the Americas, it was probably one of the most shocking and kind of amazing transformational experiences for me because I was really afraid of failing. I had never done work like that before, but I knew that I just had to try. I thought, you know, I may never get an opportunity like this again in my life. And so maybe one of those first insights was when one of those doors opens, you just need to run through it and not be afraid or let your own insecurities keep you from realizing your potential. and welcome to another episode of Insight Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Angel Franklin, a dynamic human resources executive with experience leading teams for Fortune 500 companies. Her areas of expertise include employee engagement, talent strategy, performance management, and leadership development. We first met at Tesla, where she was the architect of our performance management strategy. As you'll see in this episode, I was blown away by her ability to come into the organization and immediately gain the buy-in and support from both the organization and business leaders. Angel is one of the most charismatic and confident people I've ever met, and I'm excited to share her brilliance in this episode. On the show, she'll share why she gathers data points from multiple sources before executing any strategy, why she always asks the question, what are you trying to achieve, and why it's so critically important that any initiative she's working on is focused on enabling the success of the business. We also learn what lessons she took away while working at Kellogg, how intention and commitment helped to build her confidence, what tips she has for making a cultural change, and why she leaves space in her day for flow and creativity. This show is full of insights like these and others, so let's get into the conversation with Angel Franklin and another episode of Inside Out. Angel Franklin, welcome to Insight Out. I'm so excited to have our conversation. When we first met, you immediately impressed me so much. And that only grew from there because you came into the organization when we worked at Tesla 
and you just had this confidence, this excitement, this incredible personality all wrapped in, into one. And you were given this audacious assignment of really coming aboard and making a cultural change, a significant change to our performance management uh, and the way we go about um, really how we evaluate the talent at, at our company. And what impressed me most is your ability to connect with people and not just anyone, but the right people, the people that really need to have the buy-in and support whatever it is that you're doing. And at the time, of course, we know it was the performance management. And so I'm excited to learn from you and, and, and really understand what is your secret recipe and, and what you've done throughout your career to put yourself in position to be a, a senior level leader at Fortune 500 companies. And so to get started though, for those that don't know you, would love if you could just give us a bit of your background and share your story. Yes, absolutely. I'm happy to. So I've been in HR my whole career, which is sometimes unusual for people, but I always wanted to be in HR. I really love people. I love business. And I thought this was the perfect career for me. And so I spent the early part of my career being an HR partner, working alongside the business, being like an HR leader in a field HR role, and then ended up going into talent management and leadership development when I was with Ernst & Young. So went from this regional HR leader role to leading talent development and leadership work for the Americas. And so loved doing talent work mostly because I thought it was really strategic and solved systemic problems with people and talent and leadership. And I've been doing that ever since. So have always worked mostly with Fortune 500 or Big Four and always leading that work from a global kind of strategy perspective. Yeah. And your career is amazing because you've landed jobs at Truly remarkable companies. Obviously, starting your career at Ernst & Young is is a great place to start. And, you know, I obviously met you at Tesla. You came into Tesla and I think immediately impressed so many people. But I'm curious, as you look and reflect on your own life and your own career, what are some moments of insights that you've had? The, the, the name of this show is Insight Out. And the whole goal and intention is to, to really uncover those moments that we can look back on and think, yeah, that was a pivot point in my career. That was, that was a learning I had. That was an aha moment, or that was a breakthrough moment that really changed the trajectory of my career. W what stands out in your mind as a moment like that? Yeah, definitely. I would say making the, the initial move to, to talent development at Ernst & Young was one of those kind of first pivotal moments. I would say there's been many of them. Um, so we could probably we could pull out a dozen. But I would say one of those first ones for me was that initial move. So I had been in like a regional HR leadership role. And had always worked really closely alongside the business more in a it was a strategic thought partner with the business, but was executing other talent group designs and work and really realizing that that work didn't land in the business in the way that maybe people intended it to. And so going, it felt like it was created in an ivory tower and then landed and didn't really work. And I started to really be, I would say, innovative in ways that I did talent and leadership development within my region with my leaders. And when I was approached from the talent and, and leadership team at Ernst & Young to come and lead that work for the Americas, it was 
probably one of the most shocking and kind of amazing transformational experiences for me because I was really afraid of failing. I had never done work like that before, but I knew that I just had to try. I thought, you know, I may never get an opportunity like this again in my life. And so maybe one of those first insights was when one of those doors opens, you just need to run through it and not be afraid or let your own insecurities keep you from realizing your potential. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something that's a a phenomenal point. And sometimes we are afraid of something that might get us out of our own comfort zone. But at the same time, putting ourselves in a situation like that is going to be the best growth and development that we can have. And it's scary, it's daunting, and it could be a bit intimidating. And you might not even know what to expect, but that's often going to be the best scenario for you and your growth. So you mentioned something a minute ago, which was, you know, you what you had seen before were, were things that were sort of concocted in an ivory tower, and, and you didn't think that it had really the heartbeat of what it should be if it were built more organically within the organization. Curious if you could dive in a little bit deeper in that realm and talk a little bit about your philosophy and your thinking. When it comes to being in human resources, you should really be tapped into the humans and not just be thinking about it from a high level executive. I saw that in you big time when you were at Tesla and that you were always asking questions, highly inquisitive and really trying to uncover and find out what should it be, not just what it should be from the perspective of senior leaders, but yeah, you care about that, but you also want to know what individual contributors and others want as well. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. So this, what you just mentioned, hits at maybe a core value of mine. So I was an HR practitioner that came into talent and leadership development. And there are a lot of people that come into the field, particularly talent development, that are industrial organizational psychologists. So really brilliant people that understand people and data in ways that most of us couldn't even dream of. They're just really phenomenal people. They create really amazing theories and and methodologies that we use every day, right? And one of the things that I noticed with people that maybe were on that side, but very academic is that they didn't actually see their work to completion. They didn't see what happened in implementation and maybe sometimes wouldn't follow up on adoption. And so even though I'm not an industrial organizational psychologist, I always thought I learn amazing things from these people because they're brilliant PhDs. They've studied, they've researched, they have the most empirical designs, but I also need other data. Because when it lands for people, it may be scientifically accurate, but in terms of whether or not people can digest that and really not reject that organ, we need to talk to the people. And it can't just be the leaders, the top you know, 15 leaders at a Tesla, for example, their perspective is really critical, right? I need to know what it is so that they can support and champion it. But if it doesn't work for the other 40,000 people in the organization, then it's still missing something. And so I've always been pretty... Uh, focused on lots of data. And and that would be, you know, what does the science and the research say? What do my leaders want? What do my HR practitioners need and want? And what do my, my people need and want? And it's interesting because the want factor is also important, not just the need. It's like, what do you want? Because people's wants are and their feelings matter in doing this work. And so it doesn't mean that you completely design your your solutions based on that, but you always take them into consideration, even from a change management perspective. So it's been important to me, I think my whole career, and I would say it's a cornerstone of my philosophy around how I do this work. I love it. And it shows. So kudos to you for 
having a value that you follow and that you've utilized for your entire career, what else uh, would fit in that sort of bucket as a, as a value or a cornerstone of, of the way you approach your work? Because again, so impressed with your ability to take all those different data points and synthesize it into a bigger picture philosophy or approach to whatever project you're working on. Curious what else stands out as something that you believe at your core and is a value that you aim to follow with whatever you're working on. Yeah, I guess another one for me would be always thinking about how the work that I do enables the business success and that being a critical component of anything I do. And it sounds intuitive, but a lot of times I think particularly in the HR function, there is, you know, we have a methodology or we have the right way, you know, I'm using air quotes, even though you can't see them of doing something. And if the business doesn't feel that that's meeting their need, they can reject what you're doing and you're not going to reach the outcomes that you're trying to reach. And so I tend to be very closely connected to the business and saying, what are you trying to achieve? My job is to help enable our talent to help you achieve that objective. And so when they see that the logic and that kind of thinking to say, okay, she knows what we're going after. She's trying to enable the talent and these are the solutions she's bringing to the table to help enable the talent. It's really enabled me to have great success. So I would say over the course of my career, I've never had to fight the business for money, which is kind of a miracle. Like I've, you know, I've worked in lots of different companies and I've never had to fight to get money or budget to do the work that I've done. And I think it's because I've always looked at my work as enabling the business's success. And if I can't illustrate that, then I'm probably not going to make a recommendation for that solution, even if it is a sound one. I smile in ear to ear because it's a, it's a testament to you that that's happened and you could call it a miracle, but I kind of believe that there's no accidents in this case. As you said, you've demonstrated whatever it is you're working on is going to enable your people to have success, right? And so money will always back up helping people be successful. How do you do it though? I mean, how do you, because you do it so artfully and I feel like it, it sort of weaves its way throughout every conversation that you have. But for those that haven't gotten the first row seat, like I have, they don't know how you do it. So I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you weave in helping those that you're speaking to understand that what you're doing is going to help them be successful? What what are some of those ways? Yeah, it's a really great question. So I would say, you know, the work that we do sometimes can feel either really complex or arbitrary if you don't help people see the logical reasoning around how you got to your solution. And so I think I do spend quite a bit of time with my leaders explaining how each step of what I'm recommending is helping to get them to the outcome that they're trying to achieve. So for example, if I reference, you know, Tesla specifically, we were really focused on how do we enable our people to grow, move in this really fast paced environment? How do we reduce the complexity in the performance process so that we can get to higher performance and better outcomes from our people more quickly. It's a fast-paced organization moving at the speed of light and not wanting the work that happened in talent development to feel burdensome. And so, you know, if you think about those business requirements and what they were trying to achieve, I designed in that way. I helped them to see that anything you do that provides clarity for employees reduces the chance of error, of threat, of risk, and there's science to support that. So I looked at, you know, what does the business want? 
what does the science say? What do our employees want? And then I use that to develop the solution. And so that it's, there's something around that kind of logical and that reasoning and helping people to follow your thinking that I think is really important in this work. At times people won't clearly articulate that. They'll just come with their solution because they think it's the best or they'll look on the shelf and they'll say, this is what's best in class and this is what we should do. And it doesn't work that way if you're trying to really encourage adoption and you don't want to have to fight in the business to get something pushed through. So I really bring them on the journey with me so they Mm -hmm. can see the reasoning around the design. What do you do in the case where maybe you could tell that somebody's not truly grasping it. They're not kind of in lockstep with you. If you're bringing them on the journey and you know, let's face it, sometimes high level leaders, they're, they're moving a mile a minute. They are thinking about 10 million things. And even though we're doing our best to bring them along the journey, for whatever reason, it's not clicking or they're not engaged enough to understand what's happening. What do you do in those situations? Yeah, I would say I tend to always ask them, what do they need or what is missing for them? So I pay close attention to body language. If people, you know, their facial expressions, I ask follow-up questions. Does, you know, does that make sense? How is that landing for you? And so if I'm getting any indication that things aren't landing and that they're confused or that they're not really tracking, I say, what would help you to better understand this? Or what's missing for you? So I try to do that very much real time and not allow that leader I'm talking to to form a concrete opinion that is negative without really having all the information. So if I think people are confused, then my job is to help them not be confused, right? So I I try to pick up on that quickly before they've cemented their view. And of course, there are times where you know people cement their views and it's different than what I've recommended and that's okay too, but I don't want it to be for lack of knowledge or understanding. And so I tend to be very in tune to if people are tracking to the logic, you know, in, in the, in the design as I'm, as I'm sharing it. Yeah. And I think tapping into your EQ ability and and understanding, reading body language, those little intangibles, those little things often give us clues when somebody is maybe not completely either supportive or either they might not have all the information, as you said. So sometimes it's just an information gap. You know, one of the things that I'm always fascinated by, especially for high performers such as yourself, is the notion of the challenge or setbacks that have happened in your life and how you've overcome those. So you could call them failure, you could call them a challenge, but curious what challenge setback or failure you've had in your life that stands out as something that played a pivotal role in your advancement? Yeah, that's a good one. I would say when I was at Kellogg, so I I led uh, talent development at Kellogg and I went there really to build their whole process on succession planning and uh, people development at the at the leadership level. So thinking about how do you really actively encourage and uh, facilitate experiential learning when you're talking about really senior leaders that you're trying to pipeline for like GM roles or kind of the top 150 jobs in the company. So it was a really a worthwhile task. I was really interested in it. And one of the the things that was probably most difficult for me about that experience is I was probably about four months into my time there when Kellogg started to go through an HR transformation And through that HR transformation, about half the HR department was laid off. And it was just, 
I would say it was emotionally draining for me. And I think it also really struck for me personally a, a value around uh, integrity. And I'm not implying that they didn't have integrity. I'm more just my own internal kind of measure of integrity and feeling like we were cutting lots of positions when we were meant to be doing strategic work. And it felt a bit like a failure to me. I could not really overcome the pain of of that transformation and what it meant for the team. So I lost the vast majority of my team. I lost a lot of my colleagues, um, left the organization, and I was left there trying to keep the lights on, so to speak, and uh, not able to do the strategic work I wanted to do. And I left after, I think, a year and a month. And it was just one of these experiences where I knew that where I am, where I spend my time is really critical to me. And I need to always make sure that my own internal values are being met. And so leaving there and after such a short period of time and and after my job was spared, I think definitely felt a bit like a failure to me. And I did a lot of I think self-reflection and soul searching about like what was most important to me and what kind of environments could I be in in the future. And so curious in what ways it changed you. It sounds to me like at least it, it gave you more conviction about having the high bar of integrity that you had, a bare minimum, it taught you that. Curious what else sort of changed you as a result of that experience? Yeah, I would say I will not. I realized that you have to be fulfilled and you have to feel like your needs are being met as well as the company's. And so I have probably a much more confident and comfortable walking away from a situation that doesn't feel like it's meeting my needs. Mm. Um, and that was something that I would have probably been insecure, you know, about doing before, you know, feeling like there would be risks to my career or people's perceptions of me or my reputation. And I think I still have to deal with those things. I don't think those things have gone away, but the the conviction I feel in my ability to succeed and contribute my highest and greatest value to the company is dependent on uh, me feeling like my needs and values are being met as well. And so I have a lot more conviction and comfort with that than I did before. It doesn't make it always easy, but I definitely think it was the right answer. Yeah, it's interesting you, you say that because I you use the word insecure. And it, if there's a word that I wouldn't even imagine you being is insecure, but we're all insecure in different ways. You are one of the most confident people I've ever met in my life. Like you just exude this confidence. I'm curious, has that always just come naturally to you? And, or did you have to work for it or toward it? Because, you know, I and mean, maybe this experience sort of helped you become as confident as you are. But I really believe that confidence is one of the greatest ways people have enormous success is, is it starts with the belief of themselves, right? And so if you have a natural insecurity, and I think we all do to some degree, your ability to shed that insecurity as much as possible and grow your confidence plays a key role in your success. Curious your journey with regards to confidence, what it was. Oh gosh, it's so funny. So um, I just, ha- it may- I can't help but laugh. So Billy, people say this to me all the time. People think I'm really confident. So I have tremendous insecurities, <laughs> just like everybody else. What I would say is that I probably present as confident, maybe more so than some, and that it more stems from my intention and uh, my commitment. And so I feel extremely confident that I will give the very best service, dedication, my best intellect, uh, you know, my best research. So 
I'm confident in what my commitment is to the work that I do and the people that I work with and the people that I serve. So that I feel confident and that I think is what people perceive. And and I'm very much a servant oriented leader. And so I care a lot about taking care of the people around me. And I think I'm very confident in that, that no matter how it ultimately lands, that my intentions are pure. And so I think that is maybe where the confidence comes from. I enjoy relationships. I enjoy connecting with people. So there's definitely a sense of confidence there. But there's, you know, I think there's a tremendous amount of insecurity and nervousness that exists inside of me as much as anyone else. And so I think I think it's important to acknowledge that. And I always try to tell people that work with me that um, because it, I just, I come off as confident, but I've got the same stuff other people do. And, uh, and I think we're all trying to overcome that. I, my coaching to anyone else is always to, there's something you can be confident in, even if it is just your own dedication. And so use that to fuel yourself. Mm. And, you know, I've done a ton of public speaking and sometimes I have done public speaking in front of groups of thousands of people before. And before I speak publicly, which, you know, I've done trainings, everything, I still sometimes can kind of shake or get nervous. My heart starts to race. And sometimes people see me and they're thinking, that's impossible because I've seen you speak a dozen <laughs> times. How could you still get nervous? You know, I still am human. I still feel risk. I still feel, you know, I don't want to fail. So all of those feelings are still inside of me. And I just really anchor to the things I know I'm confident in. That's really interesting that you use those as anchor points. And and you're right. Everybody has something they could be confident in. You talked about presenting, which again, how you present yourself and presenting just generally is an outward reflection of, of what people see when they think of you, right? So for example, I know that you presented the concept of the platform that you were building over and over and over again to a lot of different people. And so you clearly you're going to get good the more you do it and you're going to get, it's going to become better and better and more polished. Honestly, you seem to be out the gate, be able to deliver something just flawlessly. Curious what your approach and process is to presenting, whether it be a concept, an idea or a program or platform that you're working towards. How do you get your talk tracks in line and and set yourself up to be able to present and have the the confidence to present effectively right away. It's funny to answer this question because I will tell you what I do, but I will also tell you what I what I advise other people to do because I think it's different. So for me, I have to know it front and back. That is probably the most important piece of my presentation is that I know my craft without a doubt. And when I know that without a doubt, then it starts to come very naturally to me. So the work that you would have seen me present at Tesla around the whole design of the performance, the performance management system and the talent development strategy and the employee, the you know, employee culture work was work that I had been intimately involved with my team uh, created, we cre- created together. So we, it was our baby. And so it was really natural and intuitive for me to discuss it. I think additionally, even when I'm presenting something that's founded upon other research or science, there's still that component of knowing it front and back so that you're really comfortable with the content. I think if you feel insecure about the content, you don't know what you're talking about, then it's really difficult to present with the level of confidence and intention that you want to. So that's just what I would say first and foremost for me. 
Um, I think that also some people really do need to practice. That does not work as well for me. So if you're someone, if you're one of those people that needs to practice, then do it, right? That's, you know, you have to, I think, know thyself. For me, it's more about what are my high level points that I want to get across. I'm a very conversational speaker. And I think that for me personally, it, it lands as more genuine and authentic. And so I can't be too scripted. If I'm too scripted, I'm likely to miss something or it will come off as inauthentic. And that's definitely not something I want to do. So I tend to have what are the key points that I want to get across. I know my craft and what I'm sharing really well. And then it is much easier for it to flow from me. And I mentioned before, you know, the way that I I logically kind of piece together the solution or the answer to the, you know, the, the need that the business has. I always make sure that story is clear as I'm sharing whatever I'm sh- sharing. So that reasoning is clear. And then additionally, you know, I know what I'm, I'm talking about and I've got my high level points. So I want to talk about culture for a moment. You're tasked in a lot of ways, and I'm sure throughout your career, with moving or changing culture. What's your advice for somebody that maybe is in a situation where they have to do something similar and and make a cultural change for an organization? Because it's no easy task. And so broad question, but wonder, like, what are some of your tricks or secrets for making a cultural change? Yeah, so the first is you really have to know where you're starting from, what has already been said, what do people already identify with? Because if you swing too far without being clear about where people are, I think you will miss things. And, you know, the cultural change that we were encouraging at Tesla was really how do we pay homage to all the things that got us where we were? And then how do we also, you know, build the capabilities we need for the future? And so there was really this duality that existed in that design that we really had to say, like, how do people really currently identify with this organization and what's made people proud to be a part of a a part of what's been created here today? And then what is needed for the future? So I think really knowing where your starting place is, is critical. Another thing I would say is also simplicity. Um, Cultural changes are interesting in that the more complex you're making them, the harder it is for people to digest and to anchor to. And so simplicity is really critical for a sense of coherence and for people to be able to anchor to that and follow along with it. And so when you see people trying to do cultural changes that are overly complex, I am almost always thinking, ah, it's probably not really going to get you where you're trying to go because um, it needs to feel like the way you live and breathe and operate every day. And that needs to feel intuitive, which means it can't be something I have to memorize and feels overly complex. So I would say those are two uh, cornerstone principles. And then last, I would say, and it's similar to a point I made earlier, is that there are lots of people that are that matter in the culture change. It's not just the leaders and what they want to see. It's the employees and what they want to be a part of. The idea is that you're trying to bring a group of people, a body of people, an organization along with you to this new culture. And so the feelings mm. of the masses are relevant. And I I think it's something that you can't ever underestimate that people's feelings matter in this work. I care a lot about science and I do a lot of research and I care a lot about people's feelings too. And if you want to inspire change, 
you must know how people feel. And and that's got to be part of how you think about your design and how you bring people along. Yeah, I love all of those tips. And, and, and clearly, it makes a ton of sense to, to keep it simple and, and make sure you think about the way people feel. You know, the, so, so valuable. I have one more question before we get into our lightning round. What are some habits or rituals that you have that you employ on a, on a daily basis that help you be as, an, as effective and productive as you are? Oh, gosh. Oh, this is gonna be the hardest question ever. You know, I would say I am probably less of a person that does things on a daily basis. I don't want to say I'm frenetic, but like I definitely I flow probably maybe more than most people. So I tend to always have a plan, but I recognize that that plan is fluid. So I think about so, you know, generally I think about my day. What are all the things I want to achieve for the day? But I leave room for flow and I pivot and that is very intuitive and natural for me. I don't think that most things are not rigid. And so I allow for space for flow and I think creativity where it makes sense. And so, you know, I don't, I'm not a really uh, ritualistic generally, which is good. That's why I'm laughing because yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of leaders are, but that doesn't seem to be my, my normal take on life. Well, no, but I loved what you said. It's like, leave some time for, for flow and for things that maybe aren't, you know, part of your planned day. So speaking of uh, flow, let's flow right into the lightning round. This is a situation, an emotion, quick hitting question where I just want your gut response, your gut answer. The first thing that comes to mind, the first question is, what excites you? Uh, people. <laughs> Do you want details or just answer with one word? I'm not surprised one bit. <laughs> No, feel free to share any details that you, that you think would be appropriate, but but uh, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, I love people. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise you, huh? No, I just think um, I just love people in all their facets, all the types. Um, so, you know, I'm an extreme extrovert. So I love people that are more, have more introverted preferences. I like, um, you know, I'm more of a, you know, I go out and I go dancing. I like people that like to sit and be quiet and read. I just like the whole spectrum of human beings and all of their facets. And I appreciate know the whole spectrum of them so just learning about people really excites me yeah no not not surprising what scares you oh gosh it's probably suffering you know i think about like the state of of uh the world and and different you know places you know countries where people are in pain or where and that that is probably the thing that gives me the most fear Mm -hmm. is that you know people would have to suffer unnecessarily when there are enough resources in this world for people to not suffer but you know lo and behold there are people that are hurting so yeah, that scares me. So true. Well, what surprises you? Oh, I got a good one for this, that I constantly keep learning in my space. Like I can have done something a dozen times and then have come to a new insight on the 13th. I just find it interesting that you could be doing the same type of work, maybe not even get new information, but just continue to be exposed to something and generate new insights. So I find that surprising and fascinating. I love that. Okay. So I'm sure you've read lots of books that you would recommend, but what single book have you recommended more than any other book? (laughs) It's a fiction book. Red Rising. It's a dystopian novel. So I'd liken it to a Hunger Games, but probably 20 times better. So one of the most phenomenal books I've ever read, the author is Pierce Brown, and he's got a trilogy. Actually, I think he just released a fourth book, but it's one of the most fascinating things. And very much, um, so while it's a dystopian novel and it's fiction, I think it has lots of life lessons, lots of leadership lessons in it. And I hearken back to it quite regularly in my mind and um, in my work too, actually. Nice. Love it. Okay. I haven't read it. So I will take that uh, recommendation. Who's the most influential person in your life and why? Yeah, probably my husband. Yeah. So I have seen my husband um, 
We've been together for 13 years, married for 11 in about three weeks. We'll be celebrating our anniversary. And I've seen him grow in ways that I didn't even know a human being could grow. Um, So, you know, we've been together since we were so young. And he's just really a remarkable person that never stops growing and doesn't settle for mediocrity from himself or others. And he's been probably my biggest supporter. And it's just been really, I feel like, abundantly thankful that he's in my life every day. Uh, Well, first, happy anniversary. If you could spend an hour with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? Jesus. (laughs) So... That's my final answer. I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not religious actually, but um, I find, I think the story of Jesus is fascinating and that level totally. of like care and uh, love for people that um, are in suffering and in need. And so I would love to uh, spend an hour with Jesus. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. I, I feel the, very much the same way. Okay. So if you had the chance, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Oh my gosh, a million things. You don't have nearly enough time in the day for me to tell you all the things I'd go back and tell her. I would tell her to be more sure of herself. I think um, at 20, I spent so much time worrying about um, all the ways, um, all the, I just spent time worrying all the risk in, in the world and in my life. And, um, and I would have told myself it was all going to be okay to be more confident, to be more sure of herself and her mm. future. Yeah. Okay. Well, last question. We've learned a lot about you, but what haven't we learned? What might surprise the listeners about Angel Franklin? Oh, I think what might surprise people is one of my favorite things to do is to sit on the beach for hours and read. So I tend to be a bit of an energetic spirit and I'm always moving. And I think people don't imagine that an idea of fun for me would be sitting on a beach for eight hours reading, but I find it very peaceful and calming and a way to balance my kind of fiery party spirit on most days. Yeah, no, it's good to switch it up every now and then. So, well, Angel, I I am so grateful for the time we've had during this conversation. And like I said at the top of the show, like respect you immensely, learned so much from you and just really feel honored to have gotten a chance to work with you and, and see you do just such an incredible job. So thank you for being on Inside Out. No, thank you so much, Billy. I appreciate the time today and, and I'm honored that you had me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.